in prisoner's chains with bleeding stripes Paul and Silas prayed that up just a hair. I'm the pollen or something is bothering my voice. I don't know what it is. But uh, I promise I won't scream or anything. Today uh, I want to talk with you about the community of ministry. We're in a community 
that has a lot of ministry. A lot of folks are caring about other folks and lifting other folks up. And I thought it would be great if we thought about that this morning together and sort of rethink our place uh, in that tapestry. If you have your Bible, look with me in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, uh, beginning in verse 3. The scripture says, All praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. You can be sure that the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your benefit and salvation. For when God comforts us, it is so that we in turn can be an encouragement to you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are confident that as you share in suffering, you will also share in God's comfort. There was a couple in their late 60s that were going out to, to eat one night. They were going to go to a real nice place, and so they wore their nicest clothes, and they got all ready, and they called a cab to come and pick them up and take them to the place, and they put the cat out, and they thought everything was ready, and so they were walking out to the uh, cab, and somehow the cat ran back in real quick, and uh, they didn't want the cat in the house uh, while they were gone. So the wife uh, went on out and got into the cab, and the husband went back into the house to put the cat out again. The wife didn't want the taxi cab driver to think that they were going to be gone all evening and the house would be empty. So she told the cab driver, she said, uh, he's uh, going back in to say uh, goodnight to my mother. He'll be out in just a minute. So in a minute, the uh, husband came back out and he said, uh, I'm sorry I took so long. He said, the stupid old thing was hiding under the bed. <laughs> I had to poke her with a coat hanger a few times <laughs> to get her out. I know a lot of uh, senior adults, don't you? <laughs> senior adults are the fastest growing segment of our population. By the year 2025, the typical family, and many times this family will all be together in one house, are great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, and children. Many aging parents agonize over the chaos in the families of married sons and married daughters with children. There are many people in our church in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s that are sending money to their children who are having trouble with their children while at the same time they are helping their parents 
who are now disabled and in some uh, nursing home. For years and years, I thought that you were a senior adult when you turned 65. But then some businesses came out and said, no, you're a senior adult when you turn 55. Well, that kind of threw things off. And then Social Security said, no, uh, 65 is not your retirement age anymore. It's 66. And then for those of you that are younger, it's 67. Well, I don't think that there is a particular year that is definitive anymore. If you can't tell you were old by how old you are, uh, how do you know? Well, our disabilities tell us. Our behaviors uh, tell us. Our eccentricities tell us. For example, you are really old when you stop saying, while you're up, would you... Get this for me. You stop saying that and you say, while you're down, would you pick this up for me? (laughs) You're really not old when you absentmindedly put the telephone book in the refrigerator uh, next to the cabinet. Uh, A mother of three uh, uh, young children could do that. And she would probably think that she was losing her mind, but she wouldn't be. You are really not old, though, until you make it a habit of putting the telephone book in the refrigerator and insisting that everybody else in the family does the same thing. Well, then, when you do that, you're old. You're really old. Then pain has a way of telling you, when you're old, especially pain that decides not to leave. I awakened the other morning and had no pain at all anywhere in my uh, body, not anywhere. No, I didn't think I was younger. I thought I might be dead, but I didn't (laughs) think I was any younger. The presence of pain lets us know that we are still alive. Seriously, we know that we're old when we think that life is over for us. Have you had that thought? We are really old when we have lost curiosity uh, about the things that are around us. We're really old when we lose a sense of adventure. And we're really old when we lose interest in those people that are immediately around us. Then we're old. We can become old at any age if we do those things. I'm grateful for our church because I know that within our church we don't uh, have a more close-knit group anywhere of ministering to people than than right here. Uh, I love that. I I think that's what a church ought to be about. I think that's what we ought to do, and we ought to uh, take pride in doing it. Older people being supported and sustained by people that are a little bit younger than them 
and younger people being guided and inspired by older people. So I want us to look at our scripture again, verses 3 through 7 in uh, 2 Corinthians 1. And I want to kind of divide up the uh, passage into three different communities. All right, let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of all comfort. That is the community of faith in God. Now let's look at the next verse. Who comforts us in all our afflictions. That is the community of comfort. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with which we ourselves are comforted of God. That is the community of ministry. And I really hope and pray that each one of us are a part of that ministry. I want to sort of look at these uh, one at a time. Uh, The first one, the community of faith in God. Not just any ordinary old God with a little g, but our God with a capital G is a God all other gods, the Lord of lords. This God is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not vengeful. He's not a storm God who willingly inflicts suffering upon us regularly. This God, in fact, visited us in human form and suffered temptation and pain and crucifixion and then opened the gates for a new life for each of us. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort in verse 3. Now that word comfort comes from the same word which the name of the Holy Spirit comes from. The comforter, the counselor, the paraclete, the one who is called alongside us, not over against us. He is our companion in suffering with whom we can converse and who never leaves us in our loneliness. I visit uh, nursing homes and hospitals uh, almost every day, and sometimes for most of the day. As I do that, every once in a while I come across someone who hasn't had any visitors in a while, and maybe the nurses haven't come by in a while, and none of the doctors have come by in a while, and, and they seem like they're lonely. And so I just sit down and visit until I get the feeling that they want me to leave. <laughs> and then, of course, I leave. Suffering isolates us and makes us lonely. The Holy Spirit comes to us and lets us know that God is with us and that we are never, ever alone. He's there with us. He comes over against us in condemnation, but always comes alongside us in comfort and in companionship, and in conversation. That is the kind of God that we have. That is the God that we place our faith in. And that is the God that draws us together on Sunday mornings and Sunday night 
and Wednesday nights. This is the God of love and mercy and of comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. It is the community of faith that brought us here today. And our faith in this Christ who is Jesus lays a hand like my hand upon you to comfort you. And a man like me, like you, whom we can love and be loved by forever. This is the community of faith and the God of all comfort. Now secondly, let's look at the community of comfort. This is in verse 4. This leads us to the second part of our text. This God comforts us in all of our afflictions. doesn't matter what we have. God comes alongside of us. He doesn't pick out a few favorite sufferers. He said, in any affliction, be it a massive business failure or a divorce or cancer, or whatever it is, Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's or a broken hip that won't mend, God is no respecter of persons, nor is he a respecter of their diseases or their calamities or afflictions. Suffering is no respecter of persons either. Some isolate us from people more than others, such as chronic schizophrenia, But all human beings are more alike than they are otherwise. As William James said, there is very little difference between us human beings. But what little there is, we make an awful lot of. We are more alike than we are different. Thus God, the God of all comfort, makes us a community of suffering in any of our afflictions. Third, the third community is the community of ministry. I hope you're in this. I hope you've been involved in it for all of your Christian life. This is in verse 4. God does not comfort us without a purpose. He has a purpose when he helps us, when he heals us. He does so that we may be enabled to comfort each other by the means of the comfort with which the Lord has comforted us. We learn from our sufferings. Jesus, it is said in the scripture, learned obedience from the things that he suffered. So we learn obedience and discipline from the things that we suffer. This becomes a set of tools for us as we become more sensitive and more compassionate for all the people around us, family, friends, neighbors, all of the folks who are in suffering. Whatever that suffering is, we become a community of comfort for them. The same meaning or purpose of suffering is to find a new purpose in life. I don't know of any better explanation of why people suffer than we might 
become a comfort to those who are in affliction. Older people have many, many sufferings. We face, first of all, the suffering of retirement from meaningful work. Then we face the issue of rebuilding a whole new system of habits and rituals and customs whereby our life can once again become very meaningful. We face the issues of increasing disabilities of body and of mind. We face the possibilities of falling and breaking a hip or an arm, such as my dad did over and over again. This is just the dark side of aging. The bright side comes in the message of the prophet Joel, Joel 2.28. The apostle Peter repeats it in Acts 2.17, in which he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young people shall see visions, and your old people shall dream dreams. The bright side of being older is that we can mingle our dreams with the visions of people that are younger and that we can cease to compete with younger people and become a person who inspires them, who mingles our dreams with their visions that they will be able to accomplish that which we are no longer able to accomplish. We can become their sustaining grace as they do the work of the Lord. What a beautiful picture. Then, too, there is our role as grandparents. You remember the story of Bill Clinton. I'm, I'm sure you probably heard it at one point. He told of his father having been killed in an automobile accident before he was born. Then as a boy, he had to be cared for by his grandmother and his grandfather. While his mother equipped herself to take care of him and to be a nurse. Then his stepfather, whom his mother had married, became a severe alcoholic and was very brutal to him. But the sustaining power in Clinton's life was his grandfather. His grandfather became the tower of strength in the skipping of a generation. In his acceptance speech, he said, I want you to know my grandfather. He was very important to me. Grandparents quite often have to reach past an inadequate son or an inadequate daughter to get to the needs of the grandchildren. This is one of the heaviest responsibilities that one can possibly have. The community of the congregation is one in which visions and dreams all mingle together across generational lines, which provide friendship in our relationship to younger people. Dr. Wayne Oates who was the uh, late uh, 
lead counselor at Southern Seminary for many, many years. He taught literally thousands of seminary students. He, he tells this story that I want to tell you this morning. I remember very well when I was 60 years of age. I had a mother and a father of a 15-year-old girl bring their daughter to see me. She was having a great deal of trouble in her life. She came in and sat down in my study. She had on blue jeans, and she got up in the chair and folded her legs up underneath herself. I greeted her and thanked her for coming to see me. She said, well, I have one question that I want to ask you. And I said, well, ask on, Martha, Marcia, what is it? She said, well, why is it that an old man like you is wasting his time talking to a young squirt like me? I said, well, that's a good question. Let me think on it for a few minutes. And I thought about it for a few minutes. And then I said, Marcia, you are 15 and I am 60. That means I'm four times older than you are. But when I'm 90, and I plan to get to 90 by God's help, uh, you uh, will be 45. And I won't uh, be but twice as old as you are then. And then I grinned at her. Then I will need you to come by and see me. Because a lot of my family will be dead and a lot of my real closest friends will be dead when I'm 90. And I'll need some young people that care about me and that like me to come by and see me. Because I don't want to go a whole day without seeing a friendly face. The girl leaned back and said, Oh man, you are something else. <laughs> and we became good friends. Dr. Oates uh, had a gift for telling stories. I want to tell you another one. I had a call from a person whom I had met when she was 10 years old. Her father had killed himself with a pistol in the bathroom. She came home from school and found him dead on the floor. I followed this shattered young girl for four or five years. The first year, every day at 5.30, I either went by her house and visited with her for a few minutes, or I called her on the phone, or if I happened to be on an airplane going somewhere, I would uh, get out a pencil and paper and I would write this down. It's 5.30 and I'm here and I wanted you to know that you are not alone. Well, she's 33 now. And yesterday afternoon, we got a call. And she and her mother coming by to see us today. When they came in, it was a bit of ecstasy to see her grown and effective as a social worker in Seattle. She had joined the community of ministry. We searched through our congregation, and, and we not only know the people that are a part of our family, but we 
try to get to know some that come just occasionally or periodically. We try and include them. And this is the most authentic kind of evangelism there is. That we reach out to other people who never darken the door of a church and minister to them in their sufferings. And we become a comfort to them. This is the meaning of the gospel. This really is the good news. A community of faith, a community of comfort, a community of ministry. God help us to be that. We need to pray that persons to use our love and to bless little children. We can do that when we get older. We need to use our wisdom to have creative fellowship with those that are young. Grant us grace to be good role models and mentors for young adults. And empower us as we struggle alongside each other as older people and endow each day with a sense of mission in the service of our Lord. We need to pray. Heal us, O Lord, with the joy of your presence. I go to a a lot of funerals. I don't know if you do. We have every year in our church some folks pass away that we love, and I always go to all the funerals. I have a former church that's not too far away, and I go to a lot of the funerals of that church. They call, and, and the family calls and asks me to do the funeral, and I I go and do them. And then I have other people that I tangentially know some way or another, and I try and minister to that family as best I can. I go to a lot of funerals. It's always obvious to me if the deceased person knew the Lord. I understand preacher speak. Do you understand preacher speak? Will they say about you when you die, he was a nice man and he did a lot of good things in the community. If they say that, the deceased person was probably not a believer. But if they say he treasured the word of God, he witnessed of his faith, And he had strong convictions about the lordship of Christ. You know where that person is. He's in glory with Jesus. Well, what are they going to say about you? Is it going to be obvious that you participated in the community of ministry? I hope so. Today, uh, as we always do, we're going to have a time of invitation and we're going to invite people to to join the community of ministry. If you're a believer and and you feel like uh, you might want to express some of the gifts that God has given you, then come and join with us and serve uh, the people that that we can help. Uh, Today, if you're here and 
you've never trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then obviously the invitation would be for you to come once again and join the community of ministry and grow and develop in the graces of our Lord and Savior. We're going to sing a hymn. I'm going to stand down at the front. If there's a decision that you'd like to make, just slip to the aisle and slip down to the front, and, and it'll bring great joy in the house. Hope you'll do that today. Let's stand as we sing.